0: On this long overdue episode of The Vincast, I chat with Jane Lopes, now former sommelier at Attica Restaurant in Melbourne, but also author of Vignette. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vincast. My name is James Gasbrook, otherwise known as the intrepid wino. And it has certainly been a very long time since I've said those words. Um, I never thought I'd actually um, have the opportunity to say it again, but I'm thrilled to finally be able to uh, release an episode of the podcast. Um, I have to um, have a bit of a disclaimer. Uh, this podcast was actually recorded the interview was recorded oh, gee, um, over 18 months ago, I think, um, and I, for, for various reasons, mostly just scheduling, um, I, I kind of never got around to actually putting it together um, and uploading it. So um, my apologies uh, indeed to, um, most importantly, uh, my guest on the, the episode, but also to you listeners. Um I have, um, had the, bo- the podcast has been on the back burner. Um, you know, for those who have been listening to the podcast, uh, you might know that I, um, started my own little winemaking project, um, initially in the 2016 vintage, but for the 2019 vi- 19 vintage, I actually produced, um, a, a lot more wine and, um, you know, the complexities of fitting that into a full-time job and having a family selling all that wine has um, taken up a a lot more of my time so uh, i I really just haven't had um the time to record the podcast and look again being honest um i don't actually get an income from the podcast uh so i had to kind of prioritize other things uh, in an effort to you know support my family so um my apologies um, I, I, am trying to kind of find the time, uh, particularly in the, the current state of the world, um, with, uh, you know, various levels of, uh, lockdown restrictions and quarantines and whatnot to, uh, record more episodes. Um, you know, in the last 18 months, um, the world has changed, particularly, you know, there's lots of great, um, developments in the wine industry. So I am, you know, trying to get in touch with people to find out ways of recording new episodes. I really do hope I have time. Um, but, um, I hope you do enjoy this chat. Uh, again, it was recorded, um, a year and a half ago. So, um, this situation has changed. Uh, Jane Lopes, um, who was my guest on this, um, chat, uh, is now no longer working at Attica restaurant in Melbourne. Um, she actually has returned to the United States with her now husband, uh, well, actually they were married at that point, um, Jonathan, uh, and, um, and yeah, you know, her book has come out. Um, I've been reading it. It's fantastic. I, I do highly recommend it. So just keep this in mind um, when you do listen to our chat that, um, the situation has changed, but the story hasn't. So uh, I really do hope you enjoy uh, my chat with Jane. Uh, I really did enjoy working with her, um, with my um, now former employer, but also with my own wines. It was just a thrill to have a couple of my wines on the list at Attica, um, So, uh, thank you to Jane for her time. Thank you to Jane also for championing Australian wines while she was working here in Australia. Uh, and of course I wish her all the best with whatever she does, um, back in the U S but, uh, um, guys, I will see you on the other side. Jane, thank you very much for making some time to, to sit down and chat on the VinCast. Uh, And, uh, if you'll bear with me, it has been a little while since I've recorded an episode, so I might be a little bit rusty. Um, but uh, yeah, it's great to have you on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Uh,
0: as you might have heard uh, with your now husband, Jonathan's episode, I start every episode of the podcast asking my guest uh, if they can remember the first interaction that they had with wine that potentially set them on a path towards you know, working in, in the wine industry.
1: Yeah, you know, for me it was probably when I, um, my junior year in college, I studied abroad in Italy.
0: Oh, really? Whereabouts? Uh, in Rome. Oh, cool.
1: Yeah, so I'd never, I'd never really drank. I mean, I'm sure I tasted wine before that, but I never really drank wine before that. How old were you? Uh, t- twenty. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, I turned twenty on the trip. On the trip.
0: And and no doubt you were, like, looking to take advantage of being able to legally drink before you were twenty-one. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, it was different in Italy. It was like, um, you know, it was just like part of the meal was wine. Yeah. And you know, wherever you went for dinner it was a carafe of white or red wine on the table and, uh, you know, it wasn't so much about the grapes or the, you know, the vinification or the names or anything like that. It was just about that wine was an ingredient in the meal. Mm. Um, and so I really grew to kind of uh, get used to that and really enjoy wine as part of uh, part of food. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I obviously finished up my college career and I, at that point I didn't really think about working in wine, but it definitely was the first interaction with wine that made me um, really love it and made me want it to be part of my life.
0: Was wine um, a big deal for your family growing up at all? Like, did, you, did they drink much wine?
1: Not really. My, um, my parents drank wine, but it was always, like, very cheap California Chardonnay
0: Okay, um, so when you say like cheap California chard, you mean like Charles Shaw, that kind of thing? Which part of the state? That wasn't did you grow around
1: up in? Uh, when when I was growing up. I grew up in, you know, I was born in Napa. Um, oh, okay. But I grew up in Marin. Right. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to. Uh, <laughs> it was, yeah, Charles Shaw was Shaw wasn't around then, but it, you know, it was whatever was at the grocery store for eight bucks. Okay, sure. Whole Foods, um, something like that. Not all Foods either.
0: <laughs> uh, okay. And, and what, what, why was it that you decided to go to Italy? Was there anything about Italy that um, appealed?
1: No. You know, I think it, I, I wanted to study abroad and it was, I, you know, I forget. I think, I don't even know if it was my first choice program. I think my first choice might have been South Africa or something oh, more okay. exotic. But um, I just wanted to do something different, you know. Sure. So,
0: were, you, were you a college at that point?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I... Um, there were programs at my college that, uh, which I think would be kind of the equivalent of you call it university here, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, or you could spend a quarter abroad. So okay. You basically, are still in school. You're still paying your regular tuition, um, and so
0: so they have like um, universities overseas where, where they kind of reciprocate a program. In, exactly. In, yeah.
1: Exactly. So it was. It was. My university's um, uh, professors that that taught. Um, right. But what, in,
0: what were you studying at college?
1: I studied English literature. Okay. Um, but I went to a school that had a large focus on um, on classics and kind of a, a pretty significant core education. We called it so you had to kind of do all these. Uh, you know, history and civilization and...
0: Uh, Humanities sort of subjects. That's, yeah, that's kind sort of, of, yeah, what I did at university yeah. for my undergraduate. With yeah. a bit of a focus on language, but... Yeah, okay. And did you kind of have an idea about what you might want to do as far as a career at that point? Or um, you just wanted to study something that you enjoyed?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, I really... I did enjoy that um, at university so much so that I thought I would go into academia and I kind of had plans to... Uh take a year off, get a job somewhere and apply to, to PhD programs. That was kind of the plan. huh Um so I took a year off, I got a job at a wine shop. Um I very I knew, you know, I knew almost nothing about wine, but um
0: Where were you based at that point? Chicago. Chicago, okay. Uh
1: but I got I got the job. I kind of just saw a listing on, you know, Craigslist, which is uh
0: it's like Gumtree. It's for, like
1: Gumtree, yeah. yeah. And back in the day, it was like that's where people so did online meet, dating. Yeah, and you they could found meet like personal. Yeah, it was kind of where you did everything um, before all these fancy apps. So uh, yeah, I found the job. They gave me the job, um, and you know, within a, a few months, I was pretty hooked on it. And I didn't, I didn't apply to any grad schools and just. Uh, studied wine
0: were you drinking a fair amount of wine at that point socially like did you have like friends that you would you know, who were other, other friends who were interested in wine at all
1: or was um, that just well I you became you pers- good friends with a number of the the women so it was almost all women I worked with at this wine shop um and so we would uh we would drink a fair amount of wine together um Became actually very good friends with the number of people I went to Italy with and kind of wine was part of um, our socializing. I also started, about a year after I started working at the wine shop, I also started bartending. Mm-hmm. So kind of fell in with that crew and that was, you know, a little bit more cocktail focused and spirits focused. Mm-hmm. and um, But definitely... Chicago's
0: uh, got a pretty vibrant cocktail scene, I, yeah, I, would, yeah, I would think. Yeah, very I mean, much. Considering um, the history, what, you know, Prohibition yeah. era... Yeah. You know, speakeasies and stuff like that.
1: <laughs> and, you know, once you start working in your wine, I'll, you know, even your non-wine friends want to drink wine with you. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd...
1: And get your suggestions. I don't think and... I've had
0: anyone sort of say, oh, no, I don't drink wine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So wh- what would come? some of the early influences on you as far as people you worked with or people you you know, hung out with or some of the wines you enjoyed? Like what what were the, the, the early days that you connected with?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I, the wine shop I worked at, we kind of focused on, it was a little bit more eccentric stuff. It wasn't just like a kind of who's who of the classics. So, um, you know, I got introduced to, we, we carried a lot of Portuguese wine and we like, you know, kind of quirky Austrian stuff and and so that was kind of my first exposure to wine was kind of the more odd esoteric side of it Mm -hmm. um again the kind of the women I worked with at this wine store um became pretty big influences on me and my career and um and you know I definitely knew the least about wine of any of them when I started and they kind of took me on and uh you know, helped me learn and and made sure I was tasting things. And one of the cool things about this wine shop is that we always had bottles open to sample. So, um, you know, if someone came in and said, oh, I'm looking for, you know, a bottle of wine around $20, uh, you know, do you have anything open that might work with that, you know, or for dinner tonight or whatever it was. And so we pour them tastes and it kind of was a good way for us also to, um, be able to taste a lot of the wines that were in the store, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I think, I think for a year <laughs> for years, um, you know, you kind of are just like learning patches patches of wine knowledge, and you don't. For me, at least, it took a long time to really kind of connect the dots and yeah. really feel like I had a really kind of broad understanding of the world of wine.
0: I feel like there's a point early on when when someone Um, other works in the wine industry or studying or becomes just you know interested in themselves and they want to learn more you realize how much wine there is and how much there is to know about wine and it's just like this this you know enormous chasm in front of you yeah and you kind of like a bit overwhelmed and then as you start to fill in gaps and connect things and you start to understand that uh, there's a lot that's applicable sort of everywhere Um, It's just, you know, everywhere is a little bit unique. Um, But, yeah, that that kind of... (laughs) I I feel like there's two sort of phases you go through where you realise that there is so much to know and you kind of freak out, going, oh, my God, how am I going to know all this? And then at some point you go, I can never know all this. It's impossible to know everything about wine. So you sort of relax and just enjoy what you do know and enjoy what you're learning, you know, every day. But, uh, yeah, Yeah, of course, with wine there's lots to know about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what, yeah,
1: and that's one of the fun things about wine is that you know you'll you'll there'll always be more to know and to master.
0: Yeah, and, and that's kind of the exciting thing. Yeah. Um, the the wine market in Chicago um, is it fairly um, mature? Do they you know can you sell sort of anything? Do they are they big on um, American wines?
1: Um, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, to be honest, my kind of, uh, you know, my experience was more limited to um, that store. Um, and, of course, anywhere I kind of went out to, e- to eat and drink. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, didn't have a lot of money back in those days. So I wasn't going out and, like, drinking Grand Cru Burgundy or anything. Um, Did
0: you get the opportunity to – do? They, I don't know, like, what the wine trade is like in the States. But, you know, obviously here, you know, we, we tend to have – Tried tastings and stuff yeah, like absolutely. that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I went to, well? you know,
1: I went to those all the time. Um, it's definitely a, a mature kind of wine industry and kind of, I think, keeps growing. Um, I think it's not, you know, New York, I think was kind of really the pinnacle where you really can find anything all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, Chicago, I think you can still find everything, just sometimes it takes a little bit more digging sure it's not sometimes kind of readily as a parent
0: so at some point you decided that this was kind of going to be your career path what was sort of the the next stage in your in in following um a a career in wine
1: yeah you know i um there were a few locations of this wine store in chicago so i ended up oh okay um becoming the manager of one Uh um, which was really good experience and kind of you know managing a team and buying for a wine shop and
0: were the stores somewhat independent like would you make all the decisions about the buy? so
1: we would um myself and the other two managers three locations we would taste together so we kind of designated one day a week which was our kind of our tasting day and it was like a 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. sort of thing. We just taste it with distributors all day. It right. Was pretty, oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty intense, um, but so we kind of decide as a team what was kind of a wine that was appropriate for the stores in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the location I managed was actually kind of the ritzy one, where we sold like a little bit more of high price things. Mm-hmm. So we might decide in general, like, oh, this is a wine we like. But it's gonna do better at, at the store, whereas something, oh, this is one we like, but it'll be better like best at your yeah. store. It might not do so well at my store. So that's yeah. so that was kind of um, the thing. And then I, you know, I placed the orders independently. So kind of just managing inventory and purchases and that sort of stuff was was um, within my purview. So mm-hmm. so yeah, it was really, you know, great experience for a twenty three year old. <laughs> um, and
0: And were you studying one as well?
1: I was. Uh, I was. I definitely was. It was... Um, I took my intro exam through the Quartermaster Sommeliers in Chicago. Um, you know, I, I definitely wasn't doing quite the serious study that I did in New York or here. Um, but I was studying uh, kind of more in terms of, oh, we got this new wine in. I'm going to learn some about it. Oh, okay. Um, but not as kind of um, much like systematically, I guess you would say. Uh, so yeah. And then, you know, I've been kind of got to a certain point. I was at the wine store for four years. I was at, um, the bar I was uh, bartending at for three Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of keeping my eyes open for another opportunity, but also kind of happy and content and wasn't in a hurry. And then um, an opportunity came along to help open a restaurant in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, right. Okay. Um, called the Catbird Seat. Uh-huh. Um, and that was kind of a connection through the owner of the bar I worked at in Chicago. He was also, um, he was a partner in this bar in Nashville Right. and the Nashville based partners of the bar were opening a restaurant and they were kind of asking him, Hey, you know, is there anyone you, you think would be a good fit for this project? And he thought of me because um, both of kind of my cocktail and wine background. Mm. Um, and, you know, that was kind of my first restaurant job, and, you know, I had no idea what I was doing.
0: Had, had you met many, you know, um, restaurateurs or sommeliers at that point?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, the I kind of, I worked like Monday, Tuesday nights at this, um, at this bar in, in Chicago, and it was kind of the industry nights, and so... Oh, I would, okay. um, I would meet, you know, I met a bunch of, uh, became friends with a number of solace from Alinea and, you know, that, that sort of thing. And, um, so I was kind of exposed to that world, but I, to me, I was like, you know, not even in the same realm as that, you know, what I kind of considered my knowledge and experience, um, you know, I, I it wasn't. Anywhere where it needed to be to be able to be considered for for something like that, but that's um,
0: a pretty big change. scene, you know Chicago to Nashville, yeah. I mean, I mean Nashville's a p- still a fairly you know cool town or city from what I've heard. But yeah, it's great. Like Illinois to uh, to um, Tennessee, pretty. Yeah, I guess New York different.
1: to Melbourne is also. <laughs> You know, I've never been, like, afraid of living (laughs) in other places. You know, for me, I want to make sure that there's some like-minded people in that area. You know, I don't know if I would necessarily kind of pick up and want to move to rural wherever in the United States. Um, You know, I like being in kind of a somewhat um, progressive urban area mm-hmm. but which Nashville definitely qualifies as um, and yeah I mean I think kind of good food and wine is, is important and then uh, the rest will kind of fall into place. <laughs>
0: so how did you approach um, working in a restaurant um, in, in, in Nashville?
1: Um, you know it was really intense it was a it was a small restaurant it was really myself and three cooks and that was it. Wow. It was 32 seats um the kitchen was in the center of the room so c- the cooks served most of the um the food and um but you know we were all just kind of figuring it out you know mm-hmm. um and I was brought in as beverage director but there was no GM there was no front of house manager there was nothing You know, so it was kind of me on the front of house side, figuring it out, having never worked in a restaurant. Wow. Um, I mean, it was crazy. I mean, some of the stuff that went on, like, you know, in the first months of that restaurant opening, like we had, most of the seats were around the bar. Sure. And we'd seat one, two, three, even parties of four, we'd do like around corners in the bar. And then we had two cat tables um, that we'd put five or six tops on. Mm -hmm. And you know, there was no, like, orchestrated clears or drops. Like, if there were six plates going to this table, the chef who was plating that dish would bring over two, come back and grab two more, bring over those two, come back and bring over two more, and that was here you dropped dishes on the six top.
0: Um,
1: And, you know, so it was just, we we were figuring it out, and the Nashville community was super receptive um, and welcoming, and uh, you know, it was definitely a very steep learning curve for me. Um, but,
0: but I could imagine even though, you, you know, you were definitely jumping in the, in the deep end, being the only front of house um, in a, a small venue, being a small venue, you would have learned everything and would have given you opportunities to sort of understand a lot more sooner about how a restaurant runs and, and you know, putting together, a, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, it probably would have been a reasonably sharp wine list for a venue that size?
1: It was very small wine list. Yeah. Wine list was probably about 20 selections. Okay. Most, I would say, 95% of people did pairings. Yeah. Like, almost all. Um, and we had really reasonably priced pairings. We had a non-alcoholic pairing. So, yeah, almost everyone did pairings. Yeah. Um, Which was great, but also, like pretty crazy because you could have 32 people sitting in the restaurant. It was all my section, you know, and they could be all doing, doing pairings. Yeah. And so they just like, and, and you're turning tables. We turned, you know, seats at the bar. So, you know, it was every night was like, it was a hustle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know, I ended up becoming really good friends with the people I worked with. Um, you just, you really felt like you were in the trenches together. Um, and I think we created something really, really special, um that I think would be hard to kind of replicate mm. you know
0: were there were there many restaurants like that in Nashville at that time none wow. i think
1: it was the only real kind of tasting menu only restaurant in Nashville at the time far
0: out. so how long did you work at, at that venue for i
1: was i was in Nashville about a year and a half okay um you know i I kind of had a lot of things going on personally at the time. Um, it was very kind of it was a very stressful job, and I think most of that was kind of stress I put on myself. Um, but combined with kind of the uh, the hustle of service, and um, I also got to a point where I felt like so I took my certified exam when I was living in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I drove up to Cincinnati and took it, passed. Um, but I definitely as I kind of thought about studying for the advanced and thought about furthering my career, I didn't think it would be the easiest thing to do in Nashville. Mm. And I didn't, I didn't want to work at a restaurant where I was the person who knew the most about wine. You know, I needed to find, you know, mentors and, and learn from colleagues and have tasting groups and study groups. And um, there was some of that in Nashville, but um, you know, nothing like what you could find in New York. No. So, uh, yeah, at a certain point, I just knew um, it was time to to move on. Big legs. What? The big
0: legs. Yeah, yeah. So, well, so yeah. that was when you moved to New York?
1: Yep, yeah. So I moved to New York from Nashville, um, worked at a few different places. Uh, I, I started working at a Danny Meyer restaurant, and, uh, you know, this was, it was Maiolino, which is a great restaurant, um, kind of his Italian restaurant, and it was before they had a single sommelier at the restaurant. They had like a wine director, but they didn't have any sommeliers working the floor.
0: So the wine director was overseeing a number of different venues, don't different wine lists?
1: No, no. So they had an individual wine director for that venue. Right. We, we say wine director in the US like you would say head sommelier here. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was a head sommelier.
0: But they don't work... Oh, okay. So, so they, they, worked the they floor, work the floor, but they can't work okay.
1: every second of every service. Right. The restaurant was open, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, seven days a week.
0: Okay, so there wasn't another... Sommelier to Correct. to cover the shifts that the wine Correct. director wasn't okay,
1: um, and so it was just kind of and that person really was kind of floating and helping out, but it was a big restaurant; they couldn't touch every table either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was hired by by that group, but again, there was not as a sommelier. I ended up ended up bartending for them, so um, you know, and it was very busy, kind of different bartending than I was used to. You know, I worked in kind of a seated only uh, bar in Chicago and it was fast paced, but in a different way than when you're dealing with people dining at the bar and you're three deep and people are waiting for a table and it was just, uh, it was it was chaotic, but it was fun.
0: And you'd still have drinks going at the tables as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you'd have a
1: service bar and then you'd yeah, have, yeah. you know have people eating at the bar. Um, but, you know, that was kind of the idea was that I would progress into some role there in the company, but it um didn't quite materialize. And uh I had the opportunity to travel a bit after I took my advanced exam. So I just figured I would leave them and take my advanced exam and travel a bit and figure it out. Uh-huh. Um so I took and passed my advanced exam. Um
0: three for three, first time.
1: Yep. Uh <laughs> and that was in august of 2013 in florida how
0: um, did you, how did you approach sitting the exams like when you at that point were you was there a, a bit of a community around it were you tasting with other people yeah
1: absolutely so that was kind of um really i guess that was my first real sort of like court of master sommeliers study um, real intense kind of tasting group, group and study group uh, experience. So, um, I got introduced from a friend of mine into kind of the Love and Madison Park tasting group. Okay. Um, that's where I met John. Mhm. Uh, and I think I was part of one, and then I went to the USHG tasting group, uh, the Union Square Hospitality, which was Danny Myers. Okay. So I went to their tasting group as well, and kind of started doing study dates with people and. Um, but studying, you know, is a pretty solo pursuit. So just really kind of put in the hours and hit the books and, um, you know, made a lot of flashcards and studied maps and kind of did all the things you do. Um, had you done much traveling
0: into wine regions at that point?
1: No. Um,
0: in the States, in
1: a little in the States, not really. Um, I'm trying to think at that time. I Really hadn't done much at all.
0: Long Island, upstate New York, Finger Lakes. I'd
1: been to Finger Lakes. Okay, been to Finger Lakes, um, and I'd been to to Napa and Sonoma. Okay. Um, so y- y- your family's from your Paso family's Robles. from there. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Are they still? My family's in there? LA now. LA. Okay. Yeah. California. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, w- were you kind of you might you go back to visit them and and maybe. Head to a wine region, or was it was a deliberate like I'm I'm going there to go. You to know,
1: it's so funny. Like in the early days of my career, I don't. I think I was so focused on like working mm-hmm. and studying to a certain extent that I didn't even sounds think like, about supplementing that with wine travel.
0: Sounds like the time probably would have been an issue if you were yeah, balancing sure. between work and study. Yeah, Um, and
1: it wasn't, it was kind of a different, makes me sound so old, but it was kind of a different era where I feel like these days, there's lots of wine trips going around, you know, where it's not like, it's easy to get the time off from work always, or it's easy to to kind of get, nail these trips down always, but there's a lot of people who want to sponsor trips to their wine regions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that wasn't really the case when I was first getting into wine, at least not that I, I was invited on, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think really at that point I'd done Finger Lakes, um, like right as I was moving to New York, maybe right before I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. And I'd done like Central Coast a little bit in California, um, and I'd done I'd gone a few regions in Austria with my family. Oh wow! Um, but like we were, yeah, we were in the Comptal. Mhm. Um, I think that's it. Uh, and that was kind of it.
0: But you were wanting to taste extensively, so you know, with tasting groups and.
1: Yeah. Any, any yeah. Um, but I think that's why this opportunity came up. I I won a trip to Alto Adige. Um, through th- it was through, through a Masasoms like a guildsom competition. Gildsam, okay. Yeah. And but, so be- because,
0: and that was when you passed uh, advanced.
1: That was before I passed advanced, okay. but it was for after the advanced exam. Oh, Okay. So I won the trip before, but the trip itself was after. Right. So I decided, okay, you know, it's time. I need to spend some time in some wine regions. Right. And so um, I had this, like, plane trip out. So I extended it on both sides, and I spent 10 days in Germany and Alsace beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, met some friends in Piedmont, and then had the, kind of the trip in Alto Adige, and then spent some time in Fruli and Valpolicella afterwards, on my own. Okay. Um, so that was really great. Uh, And definitely, kind of stoked the fire even more in terms of wanting to learn more about wine and wanting to do more in that uh, in the industry. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and and when you returned to New York, you moved into a a, yeah. So I
1: before I left, I nailed down a job with Alta Maria Group. so a really great restaurant group, Morea is probably the best known, kind of their flagship restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but it was a new restaurant that was opening and um, uh, was excited about that group. Um, this gentleman named Risto uh, was kind of the head wine director overseeing uh, the venues and he was awesome. And then the wine director for that venue was a guy named Richard Anderson, who's been a big mentor of mine and a, a good friend now. And then it was myself and a woman named Victoria James, who are the two sommeliers. And she um, is now a partner in um, COAT, which is a Korean steakhouse in New York. Mm. Now they have Michelin star. They're opening other locations. Um, she's also written a book, and we've become very good friends. So it was a really good opportunity, but I still, even when I was there, I felt like um, I knew I kind of wanted more, and I wanted to working with a bigger list I wanted to be um, I just really wanted to kind of dive in deep um, and it was a great job too and that it was pretty reasonable hours and I was studying a lot but I just wanted to kind of push myself even more um, and then the opportunity came up to work at 11 Madison Park yeah right okay um, and I really felt like that was what I've been working towards, and and a really good fit for my personality, uh, and I knew I just would learn a ton being there.
0: So, for those who maybe unfamiliar with um, Eleven Madison Park, can you just sort of talk a little bit about why it's so important in New York, and 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 you know how it ranks in, I guess, in the world of uh, of restaurants?
1: Yeah. Um, so, Eleven Madison Park is a three Michelin star restaurant. Um, it Hit number one on the world's 50 best list, uh, which was cool because we were, John and I were both there in 2016, which was the year that the 50 best awards were in New York City. Mm. So you had every major chef in the world walking through the door. Yeah, So it was very, very exciting time. And then the restaurant hit number one the next year, um, which was actually... Held in uh, Melbourne yes. when EMP won number one. So it was um, uh, kind of cool that I got to be here in Melbourne celebrating with them instead of back in New York if I've been still working Cause, there. Because
0: by that point you'd come out yep. to... Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. So I worked... Yeah, I was, I'd been like three weeks at Attica when the 50 Best was in uh-huh. uh, Australia. So that was kind of a... Uh, definitely a <laughs> trial-by-fire initiation to the restaurant.
0: Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I seem to remember Jonathan being somewhat instrumental in, in you going to work for Eleven Madison. No. No? Uh,
1: well, <laughs> sort of. So, John and I... I just remember
0: him sort of saying, oh, talking, and your name came up. Or so or someone told yes. him, oh...
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yes. Uh, yes. So, John and I had been dating on and off before I started Eleven Madison Park. Yeah. And we were pretty off at at that point. Um, And so I saw kind of the job listing for Eleven Madison Park, something I was really interested in, but I wasn't sure if working with us working together would be the best idea. Mm -hmm. Um, So I hadn't yet kind of put my name in the hat. Um, But I guess John, the way John tells the story, he was talking with Dustin Wilson, who was the wine director at the time. And Dustin was like, I really don't know who I'm going to hire. We need, you know, someone good, someone strong. And John said, you should really hire Jane. She's going to be the best for the job. And Dustin, you know, didn't know details but knew there was a history there and was like, are you sure? And John said, yeah, absolutely. And so Dustin ran off to the office and (laughs) sent me an email. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Um, And so, yeah, how was it uh, going to what would, you know, at, at some point be named the... Number one restaurant in the world.
1: It was awesome. It was really, it was a really awesome experience. Um, it was intense. It was very intense. I, you know, you kind of train through all the other positions in the restaurant, and you know, I, I just had such kind of weird restaurant experience up until that point. You know, this kind of small thirty-two seat tasting menu restaurant in Nashville, and then um, you know, a few more kind of standard restaurants, I guess you would say in New York, but my role was pretty limited to kind of a bartender in one and a sommelier in the other. Yeah. And here I was kind of being trained through the ranks at 11 Madison park. And
0: and it was a reasonably steep learning curve.
1: Yeah, it was, you know, cause, um, yeah, no, I'd never worked in the restaurant with a single Michelin star, let alone three. So kind of getting used to that style of service in general, um, mm-hmm. felt daunting. Um, but I think, you know, I think it ended up feeling pretty natural for me. Yeah. Uh,
0: was, it, was it a very collaborative kind of environment, With you know, where everyone was supporting each other and learning and tasting yeah. and that kind of thing? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, yeah, the culture there is is great, super strong in terms of kind of um, supporting one another. I think um, people cared so much about every little detail that, like, if you were doing something wrong, you would hear about it. Which I think is amazing because um, I think there are so many times where you kind of go into the job and people don't even care enough to correct you. that yeah. You're doing something wrong. Yeah. Um, and you
0: find out once you find out it's too late.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I remember the first time I trained with John, he had like pages written in his notepad about things I was doing wrong. But they were like, you know, there were little things about like, oh, you grabbed that coaster with your right hand when it would have been, you know, better to do with your left. And then, you know, like things like that where... Efficiencies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just kind of how things look to the guests and are perceived by the guests and that sort of thing. Wow. Um, but, you know, and then he finished the conversation said, but you're doing a really good job. <laughs> it's just these are all the things that are going to make you better. Right. Um, so... You know, it was great and working with that wine list was incredible, Um, working with that team, it's just, uh, yeah, I really, it felt like, it felt like the big leagues, it felt like I was part of something super, super special Um, and I just, yeah, I loved it.
0: Uh, How long did you end up working at 11 Madison and and kind of what was the, um, how high did you get, I guess, in, in terms of the hierarchy?
1: Well, I only, only held one position ever at EMP, and that was a sommelier. Just a sommelier. Okay. So at 11 Madison Park, they would never hire a captain from the outside. So if you want to be a captain at 11 Madison Park, you will get hired as a kitchen server, and you work your way through the positions. Right. But because sommeliers have a pretty um, specific kind of set of knowledge that's required, They they will hire from the outside for that position, right? But they still train you through. You know, it was like a four week training process to become a sommelier. Yeah, because I trained through all the other positions. Yeah, but I was only ever going to be a sommelier. Yeah, um, I was there for about two and a half years.
0: Okay. Jonathan became the wine director,
1: didn't he? He became the head sommelier.
0: Head sommelier. Okay. Um, and then from there, you decided to come out to Australia, I believe.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I kind of... John is is a little bit of an anomaly. He was at Mess Park for five years. Mm-hmm. But I think most people burn out before that. <laughs> and I was definitely getting to that point where I felt like...
0: Why do you think that is? Um,
1: the hours are very intense. Right. And just the... Um, a lot of pressure? It's pressure. It's not so much like pressure makes it sound like... You know, someone's breathing down your neck and going to like yell at you at the end of the night if you did something wrong. And it's more internal pressure, I think, for yeah, most like people.
0: Like to be so kind of dialed into that experience and be kind of conscious or, or even unconscious about everything you're doing and, and making sure the experience is the best that it can be. I, I can imagine that we're pretty exhausting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So by the end of
0: the week, you're just like, oh, my God. I'm yeah.
1: Just like <laughs> and, you know, Attica is definitely like that to an extent. Yeah. Um, I feel for whatever reason and I think it you know, I think there were just in terms of um, you know, the table side services we did eleven Madison Park and the fact they were turning tables and there were just a lot of factors that made um it made the the evenings more intense and more stressful at yep. um at eleven Madison Park than they they do it. At, they feel at Attica. Mm-hmm. And it was also, I was working a lot more hours there too. Sure. Um, you know, when I started average to 60, 60, 70 a week. Average. God. Yeah. Okay. Well, it just, you know, it kind of depends on some weeks you had stock takes. Some weeks there were, you know, you had to work two doubles. Some weeks there people was away. Yep. people out of town. So you worked six days and, mm-hmm. um, I think it's actually, I think it's right now it's it's much more reasonable from what I've heard that they've kind of moved to a non-tipping model um, and they've moved to a structure where kind of bringing the hours down for everyone across the board.
0: Because, yeah, I mean, not as much as in Australia, but I think, you know, in the States, well, probably more so in New York, there's been a bit of discussion about minimum wage and 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 people relying on tips and how much people are working in hospitality, so you know, in the same way that th- there's been a lot of attention placed on it in hospitality in Australia, particularly in Melbourne yeah uh, uh, that's probably a really positive thing that they've they've gone towards For sure, they, I th- think it, mean, it means that they care about their staff,
1: yeah, I think whenever you switch kind of wage models like that, there's always some some growing pains, sure, and I think um you know for for sommeliers and captains the tipped model was pretty sweet we made a good living you were you were kind of the top of the uh the totem pole yeah. in terms of um the tips you were bringing home but the disparity between the the front of house and the kitchen wasn't right mm. um and i think being able to move to an hourly model makes that more equitable, which is a really good, um, really good movement in the industry. Um, so yeah, and I think as a result to kind of bringing people's hours down across the board, actually, you know, um, getting paid time off that sort of thing. Sure. Because um, you got paid time off before, but it was your hourly rate, which was like. Yeah. Five dollars before tips, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of moving, um, really moving in the direction of kind of the model that Australia has.
0: Yeah, But we still do tips as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that was the thing actually about Le and Park was when they moved to this model and they increased the the menu price. It really was no tips. They wouldn't accept tips. Yeah, okay. And I think. Like we, you know, there wasn't a place to add a tip on the credit card. If we, people left cash, we were, you know, to give it back to them. Um, and I think it's also, you know, it's hard for us to kind of adjust to that model, but it was also, um, it's also difficult for the guests too, because people feel like, well, how do I, Showing how do I show my appreciation yeah. Yeah. exactly for the experience I had? And especially if, um, you know, especially like when we went in as staff, And, you know, we'd get our staff discount and maybe they'd pour you, you know, a glass of champagne or whatever they do that's kind of like your little extras for for friends and family, especially when you can't tip for that sort of stuff. You almost feel guilty. But I
0: feel that too in terms of working as a a wine rep uh, and and when I go to – and I do it as much as I possibly can, uh, you know, I go to visit one of my customers' venues and, you know, they look after me and they – you know give me whatever and then they kind of refuse to take a tip i feel you know like i i, I want to i want to show my appreciation yeah. because you guys have looked after me
1: yeah for sure but you know at a certain point you have to take people at face value and say okay well you you didn't look after me because you wanted a tip you looked after me because you wanted to look after me yeah and that's pretty cool it's
0: just a, it's just a nice thing to do yeah, yeah um and, and so did you and John kind of decide together that you were going to come out to Australia or did one of you kind of have the opportunity and talk so, about it yeah so I this is sort of I, I guess you guys were reasonably serious at this point yes,
1: yes yeah yeah we we were reasonably serious at this point were you engaged um, not yet right but kind of on the way there yep um so I had given my notice at 11 Madison Park Um, and I was planning to take some time off and study for the master's exam and also write a book. Um, and so I was talking, I kept in touch with this manager who, um, this guy named Kevin McSteen who um, had been a manager. He's Irish, but he left home pretty young and worked in New Zealand. He worked in Melbourne. He worked at um, Viedemont. And then he moved to London. He worked at Dinner by Heston. And then he came and worked at Love Masson Park. So we worked with him for a year and a half at Love Masson Park. we um, were, you know, good friends with him by the end. And just kept in touch, you know, kind of Facebook sort of thing. And I was yep. chatting with him. You know, like the day I gave my notice or something like that, and and said, and he said, "What are you going to do?" And I said, "You know, study. Right, not exactly sure right now, but you know, saved a little money, so it's just going to to kind of relax." And he said, "Well, <clears throat> I need to head sommelier at Attica in Melbourne. <laughs> do you <laughs> want to come to Australia?" So he had he had met Ben Shuri at Fifty Best Awards when they were in New York, right? And I think Kevin. I'd always really loved Melbourne and kind of had in his mind that someday he wanted to get back. So um, Ben offered him a management position at some point, and he accepted, and um, he'd probably only been, f- you know, at uh, Attica for a couple months when he offered me that job. Yeah, I'd, I'd um, seem to.
0: I, I found it um, the, the two positions being filled suspiciously close together i was like ooh ben's poaching eleven madison park stuff <laughs> <laughs>
1: well there was definitely some some feelings that that had happened but um uh, p- you know and i think both kevin and i yeah and and i think both kevin and i feel like we could have handled that situation better in regards to um you know making sure that uh eleven madison park was kind of in the know about what was going on um But anyway, especially because it affected John, too. Sure. Uh, So, you know, we I did a a few uh, Skype interviews with Ben and his um, business manager and operations manager, and um, they offered me the job within a week. Uh, I think by that point, John and I had said... If, if I get this job, let's do it. Let's mm-hmm. go to Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, so said yes. I had kind of already set my dates for leaving Eleven Masson Park. John stuck around six more weeks to kind of, you know, see things up in New York and make sure we weren't leaving the restaurant both at the same time. Yeah. Um, there's no shortage of someone who want to work at that restaurant, though. Yeah. So they, okay. you know, they still have a really... Uh excellent team. Um and so we yeah, packed our bags and came to Australia.
0: Yeah. And and you've been here for a couple of
1: years now? Uh t- almost two and a half.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um and I I have to say for me it's been great working with you um and showing you some of the wines that a uh, the the, the importer I work for uh and and also um showing you some of my wines as well. Uh, and I'm glad you liked some of them. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm really interested to hear about this book. You, you, you touched on it a bit earlier, um, and you know it's it, it's in, it's about to be uh, released later this year, I think,
1: September second. Yeah, when it so officially um, comes out in Australia. Tell, tell
0: me a little bit about uh, vin- vignette. vignette.
1: Vignette, yeah. Um, so I kind of envisioned this book when I was working in New York um it was actually interesting I had done an interview for University of Chicago which is where I went to school uh, for their alumni magazine Mm. and there was a literary agent who was an alumni who read it and reached out to me on Twitter and said have you ever thought about writing a book (laughs) and you know I I I guess I hadn't really at that point but I had I had thought that I would someday kind of use my mm. literary background for something, whether yeah. that would be reviewing or writing articles or publishing a magazine or something like that. I really felt like I I wanted to explore that side of the wine industry a little bit. Yeah. So I sat down with him. We had coffee, and um, he, you know, he kind of wanted me to write this like, uh, you know, Anthony Bourdain style like. Oh, kitchen uh, conventional style. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind okay. of style like, um, you know, insiders look at the wine industry and. Uh... Yeah, and I, and I that's dangerous. Yeah, I think yeah. for, for
0: for 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 you know, for restaurants and stuff like that. I think that that yeah, it's it's probably going to rub people the wrong way, but. With wine, because we're we so reliant on, you know, the producers and importers and distributors yeah. and the customers and there's so many more kind of links, um, it, it's possibly well, a little bit you know dangerous what? to kind of yeah, go down and that route.
1: I didn't have in any interest in that and I also didn't really have much to say. I really... You didn't need... strike
0: me as a person who, you know, would would sort of <laughs> write that kind of thing.
1: No, 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 not at all. I mean, I think... Uh, Well, I guess in terms of, I guess there's kind of two sides to that. There's the, like, dirty little secrets about the industry, which, um, you know, I don't know if there's, like, I mean, there are obviously some of that, but in terms of kind of the integrity of the product and and wine service in most restaurants, it's pretty high. Like, I don't really have much to say in that Mm -hmm. respect. And then there's kind of the more, like, partying industry side of it, where... um, you know, I did a, a you know have my fair share of stories <laughs> in that respect. Yeah, but, um, but
0: to some extent, it's not necessarily unique to, to no, front of house. No, and it's, and it's not it's that like, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it like um,
1: the and back, there's back you of know, house yeah,
0: a, a, as much as front of house.
1: Yeah, so you know, he kind of had that idea, or like kind of even like a straight up memoir sort of thing that uh-huh. related to you know
0: an insight into what it takes to become a familiar yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. okay.
1: Um, and I thought, okay. Yeah, there's some interesting bits in there, but it's not, um, to me, not quite enough to warrant uh, <laughs> to warrant, sorry, John just walked in, um, to warrant a book. A book, yeah. You know, for me, I'm not just writing a book to get my name out there or to have written a book. I want to write a book that's brings something new to the genre. Yeah. Um,
0: and a little bit more for the reader rather than self-ingredizing kind of... Yeah, exactly, you know, exactly. Talk, just talk about myself sort of thing. yeah
1: And so I really envisioned this kind of this model where it was um, sort of, you know, sort of a memoir, but much in the way that I'd supplemented kind of my life with wine, I wanted to supplement the memoir side of it with, with kind of fun and interesting approaches to wine education. Sure. Um, So each chapter uh, is a style of wine. So there's some spirits too, but, you know, so let's say um, one of the first chapters is California Chardonnay. And it's very short, um, like a page and a half or something like that. Um, And it's about how my parents drank California Chardonnay and that was kind of my first experience with wine and I thought it was disgusting and I thought it tasted like you know butterscotch and canned pineapple and and like acetone you know and and I just thought it was the grossest thing um and fake oak (laughs) yeah and then how you know getting into the wine industry and realizing what they kind of found comfort in, in these wines. Um, Is
0: it somewhat chronological?
1: It is somewhat chronological. But that chapter is kind of... uh, It's, yeah, it's a little bit about, like, my first kind of taste of wine. Yeah. But then it kind of connects to being in the industry a bit. Sure, sure. So that one's not super kind of narratively chronological. Mm. um, But it it becomes quite... Jumping off point. Yeah. Uh, And then there's a graph after that chapter about kind of that plots different producers on an oak and price spectrum of California Chardonnay. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like a little, you know, quote unquote, vignette of my life that centers around a certain style of wine and then some kind of fun piece of, of um wine education about that style of wine. Cool, And it's, you know, it's a lot of charts and graphs and maps. And there's a lot of games too, like a, you know, a Bordeaux Mad Libs (laughs) that's in there. There's a word search. There's a crossword puzzle. Um, (laughs) You know, it's the idea is that it isn't dumbed down at all, um, but it's very fun and accessible. Playful. Yes, yeah, yeah
0: absolutely yeah, cool. yeah and yeah and and accessibility it, I think it's so important, but it can be really hard to achieve, and I think that you know it's so easy to fall into that. Um, that gap of dumbing things down or generalizing and then that kind of can serve to confuse so if like playful is is really good yeah um and hopefully people can sort of relax about stuff and not think that they're oh that's you have to know this and you have to know yeah because
1: even exactly i think there's a lot of things targeted at the beginner out there Mm -hmm. and they're um there it's it is that feeling of like okay these are those this is the foundational basic stuff that you need to know yeah it's also really boring yeah it's like wine should be fun and interesting and engaging and not I,
0: but i guess the other thing is that you're trying to encourage people to have their own experiences and have their you know Absolutely. find their own things that they yeah. enjoy about something it's not you don't it's not like this or and nothing else it's like exactly. it, look, there are different ways to to approach it exactly Well, it sounds awesome. I I really can't wait to to get my hands on it uh, because I'd love to share my impressions. But uh, uh, where where can people um, pre-order the book?
1: Um, In Australia, Booktopia is the place to go. Um, There's also a link on my Instagram profile, um, which is at Janie Maxine. uh, And for UK and US, it's Amazon.com. Yeah, right. uh, so yeah, it's. Um, it looks it, beautiful. It looks beautiful. It's. I have uh, a. Ha- Are the
0: illustrations yours?
1: No, absolutely not. I was going to say I have a very, very talented illustrator and designer right. who really made um, made it come to life. And really grateful for Hardy Grant for taking a chance on the book, which is definitely doesn't have. Um, you can't like look to a previous book that was successful and be like, oh, it's just like this; it's going to be successful too. You sure. Know? um and you know they invested so many resources into the kind of design and illustrations so yeah very sounds, grateful. sounds pretty involved yeah it is, it is a bit involved and it's always it's been the difficult part of it is kind of getting that elevator pitch down because sure. it's kind of a little bit more complicated than a few sentences will allow but uh i think ultimately that will be, be what makes it really rewarding for people
0: fantastic and obviously if uh, if people can get a booking then uh, they can find you at Attica
1: absolutely yeah it's uh not always easy but there's definitely <laughs> things that pop up and you can get on three months in advance actually
0: sure, yeah make sure you're following Attica on uh or Instagram because uh, yeah. sometimes there are get some some last minute cancellations That's true. absolutely uh well again thank you very much jane it has been really fascinating to hear more about your journey and thank um, you. uh, i'm excited to, to, coni- to continue working with you and of course um read vignette
1: thank you so much
0: thank you listeners for um for your patience as i um put together uh this episode i really hope you enjoyed it um and hope you will um stay tuned for um more episodes coming up um thank you of of course again to jane for giving her time to be on the show uh please do check out her book um follow her on social media um you can find me on social media um i'm at intrepid wino on instagram twitter facebook um you can find the podcast on facebook and twitter at the vincast um but also i really would love for you to check out my wine project uh vino intrepido um i've just you know completed 2020 vintage Uh, i'm really excited about the wines that i have to go into bottle but all my 2019 wines are now available so go to my new website vinointrepido.com where you can find out about the story with the wines and uh and if you're interested to 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 buy and try um uh, that would be awesome as well um but um guys uh, i look forward to um Chatting with you again, but until next time, bye.